Today we enter an important part of our study in Romans, God's plan for the Jewish people. Anti-Semitism is growing today in the world. And unfortunately, anti-Semitism, which is basically being prejudiced and hostile towards the Jewish people and hating them, that is even growing again in the United States of America. This is going on. Now, there is no rational reason for this. There's only a spiritual one. I want you to understand that. Anti-Semitism is not rational. It is a spiritual problem that a person has. And I'll go further than that. Satan hates the Jews and he drives that hatred. He drives it. One major reason is that from the Jews, the Messiah came, the Lord Jesus Christ. He crushed Satan through his death and his resurrection. This guaranteed Satan's defeat. If Satan could do away with the Jews, now understand this, if he could do away with the Jews, then God would be a failure because God said that he would keep his promises to the Jewish people and the prophetic picture. And if Satan could do away with the Jews, then he would basically be defeating God. Guess what? It's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. Satan tried to eradicate the Jews in uh, history, the plan of God, and he's also tried to eradicate the plan of salvation down through the ages, but he will never succeed. I gave you some examples of that on your sheet today. The Exodus and Pharaoh wanting to kill the Jewish nation. He finally let them go out of Egypt, and then, of course, he sent his armies to destroy them in the wilderness, and God destroyed the armies. No surprise there. Haman, if you read Esther, Haman wanting to eradicate all the Jews. Herod's decree to kill all the male babies two years and younger. Why? Because he wanted to kill the Messiah, this king. Now, he may have not understood all the details of it, but the devil did. And Herod was a tool in the devil's hands to try to accomplish this work. The temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Satan himself appeared to Jesus and tempted him three times to yield to him. Okay? How foolish is that? The many times when Satan was working, yes, even through Jesus' disciples. And Jesus had to say, what? Get thee behind me. Who? Satan. Satan. Hitler and the Holocaust, need I say more about that? What a a tragedy. And yet, you know what, folks? The Jewish people are thriving today. Israel is one of the greatest nations in the world, not because they're in, they're not coming back to Israel in belief, but unbelief. Do you understand that? The Jewish people, by and large, are nationalists. They're not Bible believers, okay? Now they believe it historically, but they, most of them, there's exception, most of them do not accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah. So they're back in their country, but they're back in unbelief. So Hitler and the Holocaust. And then, what do we have? Very, very current today, Islam. Islam. Their goal has always been to eradicate the Jewish people, You see this bumper sticker over at St. Cloud State and around St. Cloud State, coexist, coexist. Let me tell you something, you're dreaming, friend. You are dreaming. Islam will never coexist with Judaism or Christianity. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen, okay? And regardless of what they say, you know, this very thing, they've been offered this 
this incredible deal right now over in Israel, this plan to bring peace to the region, and the Muslims reject it. Palestinians reject it. Well, of course they reject it. They don't want to coexist with Israel. They want to eradicate Israel. No enemy of Israel has ever succeeded. Why? Because they are God's chosen people. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but let me say this in case some of you have never heard this before. God's chosen people does not mean that they're automatically going to heaven. They need to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Messiah, apart from good works, as we are going to see as we go through. This eradication of the Jews will never work, okay? Jeremiah chapter 31, and I could give you many scriptures on this concept, but I want you to see it in verse 35. It says this, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day. I would say that's pretty locked in, wouldn't you? And the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night. The sun by day, the moon and the stars by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. He's the one who created those things. He is the one who sustains those things, who keeps them going. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. They're not going to depart, and therefore neither is Israel. Israel, they are the people that God has chosen to work through on a national level, on a national level. So we are going to start this with an overview. And I want you to listen very carefully today. We are going to be looking at Israel past, present, and future in the next three chapters of Romans. So the overview is this. We start a section of Romans here that is, in a sense, parenthetical. That is, it is a parenthesis in the book of Romans. Now, it's, it's technically not because it's in the text and it was written in the letter just the way it is. But if you were to take chapter 9, 10, and 11 out of Romans, you're just kind of to raise it up in the text, all right? And then you were to take the end of chapter 8, the greatness of our salvation, our eternal security, and then you were to go right into chapter 12. It would absolutely fit spectacularly. It would be an amazing launch in the chapter 12. Now, as it is, it, it obviously fits, but I'm just saying that would fit perfectly. But the Lord has given us a reason for this because here's what's going on. People had questions about the transition that was going on when Paul wrote this because something new had come and it was called the church age and it had been going on for probably, oh, 30 some years at this point. One commentator says this, Paul here discussed God's sovereign choice because of a practical problem. The Jews gloried in the fact that as Israelites, they were God's chosen people. But now in God's program of salvation in the church, Jewish involvement was decreasing while Gentile participation was becoming dominant. Had God then abandoned the Jewish people? This is ultimately explained by God's sovereign choice, a principle which has always been in operation even within the chosen people of Israel and between Israel and other nations, okay? So we start this section, and in a sense it's parenthetical. Chapter 9, we see Israel past. Chapter 10, we see Israel present. And this is as Paul is speaking, and also it brings us right up to today. 
And then chapter 11, the future of the nation of Israel. Now, let me say this today, and let me say it in very clear, strong terms. There are, quote unquote, Christian denominations today who have forsaken the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, they are, some of them and the people in them and some of the leadership, not all, but some of, are actually anti-Semitic people. And they claim to be Christians. Friend, listen. If you are a, a, a true believer in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you better examine your theology because for you to be anti-Semitic, you are not putting the pieces together as God has. You are not understanding the word of God. I am amazed that anyone could believe that the church has replaced Israel or that the church is the new Israel if they have a Bible and they've read Romans 11 in particular, there's no way you could come up with that conclusion. I want to show you a chart. We've, you've seen this chart before, those of you who come regularly, but let me explain it to you. Okay, this is a prophetic chart. It's a little bit historical, but it's also prophetic. Um, I don't have my, my pointer with me, but I think you can follow along without it because it's so minute on the screen, you probably can't see it in the back anyway. But you notice here future events. Now we have some of the past here. Here's the first coming of Christ. From Abraham, who would be off the chart, to the left. From him, he's the father of the Jews. The Jewish nation began with Abraham. And then, of course, Moses came on the scene. And so there's the dispensation of law. And and we see the Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and so forth. And so all of that. And so that's all during the dispensation of the law coming up. Jesus came, he entered into the world, the savior of the world, the Messiah. Now listen carefully. The kingdom was offered to the Jewish people and it was a legitimate offer, okay? Did God know that the Jews would reject Jesus the first time? Yes, he knew that, but it was a legitimate offer nonetheless. He came and Jesus kept saying, the kingdom of God is at hand, okay? He's the king, he came, he's the king of Israel. The Bible prophecy is very clear about that. So he came, he died, there's the death of Christ, all right? Came back from the dead, and then what happened, starting in Acts chapter 2, this new thing called the church age began. Now, it was a mystery in the Old Testament. They didn't know anything about it. How long does the church age last? We don't know. Somewhere around 2,000 years, I think, but I can't prove that. And so that is where we live today. What is the next event on God's calendar? It is the rapture of the church. When believers, those who have trusted Christ alone as Savior, are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus is coming again, but he's not coming back all the way to earth, we're gonna, he's going to call up his church and we're going to meet him in the air. And then's going to start a seven-year tribulation period. Now, if you go back to the left, that's all Jewish until the church age begins. The church is made up of Jew and Gentile. That was the mystery. According to Ephesians 3, the mystery was not that the Gentiles would be saved. That's in the Old Testament. The mystery is that there is this new body called the church, which was made up of Jew and Gentile. Now we know today, it's the majority of it is Gentile. And we're going to deal with that when we get to chapter 11, because it talks about that very clearly. But here's the point. After the church is taken out, it's dealing with the Jews again. 
starting with the tribulation period and then the kingdom. Now, the Jews knew a lot about what was going to be coming in the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ, okay? And by the way, at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, Jesus is going to come back all the way to earth. Those of us who have been in heaven with him for seven years are coming back with him. Boy, what a ride that's going to be, all right? He's going to come back. He's going to defeat the armies of the world and defeat the Antichrist and the false prophet. There will be a judgment then, and then we'll start the kingdom age, the millennium, which is going to be absolutely spectacular. Spectacular. Now, the Jewish people, here's what's going to happen, folks. The Jewish people, even though, generally speaking, they are in unbelief today, This seven-year tribulation period, which I believe is very soon, by the way, the world is lined up for it. Israel's back in the land. The Jews are ready to rebuild their temple, all right? They're coming from all over. The implements needed for Jewish worship in the temple, they've already been constructed. They're just waiting to build the temple and to start. That is something that's going to be going on during that seven-year period of time. Now, that is very soon. If that is soon and the rapture's before that, then the rapture's even sooner. So are you ready to go, believer? Are you ready? To, you got your bags packed? Are you, are you ready? I'm ready to go. I've been ready to go for a long time. You know, I was, a, I was a, a know-it-all theologian in Bible college. I thought Jesus was coming back on, I think it was, uh, I think it was 1976. I had it all figured out, of course. Now, I wasn't sold on it, okay, but I kind of, you know, you kind of, everybody wants to get their math going and figure these things out, and okay, if this period's that long and this, all that, nobody knows. Nobody knows, but we do believe it soon. Here's the point. The Jews are in unbelief, but when Jesus comes at the second coming at the end of the tribulation, it says, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn. They will recognize Jesus as their Messiah and they will put their faith in Jesus as their Messiah. The Jewish people have a future. You, you, folks, it, it's, it's kind of like cooking on a stove, okay? You're, you're working with something and then all of a sudden you say, okay, I gotta, I've, I've got something else I have to prepare and you take that and you set that on the back. You're not done with it. You're just setting it aside for a moment and then you're, you start putting something else together, Okay? And then when the time comes, yeah, you start dealing with that thing that you set aside again. It's kind of what God has done. God was dealing with the Jewish nation from from Abraham all the way up to the time of Christ. They rejected their Messiah, therefore they didn't get their kingdom. And God says, okay, I'm going to do something new. Now, it wasn't new in his mind. It was new in the mind of people because they never knew about it before. It's called the church age. And so the Jewish people, now there are Jews being saved today, but they're part of the body of Christ. They're part of the church. God's not through with the Jews, but he's not focused exclusively on them today, but he will be. That is why that seven-year period is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. This is future. And so here we see this, okay? Now, we are going to see three major issues covered here. And these three chapters, we're going to take our time going through them because they are so vital to the Word of God and understanding God's plan. The first thing I want to mention is this. The emphasis in these chapters is Israel. Israel. Not so much the church. Remember, there was question, well, where do the Jews fit in? Is God through with them and all that? Paul takes three chapters to answer that question. 
Israel is not a picture of the church. Israel is the nation of Israel. It's the nation of Israel. It's the Jewish people, all right? And the church is the church. They're not the same. Israel is Israel. The church is the church. The church has not replaced Israel. Some study Bibles, okay, who have it wrong, and even some Bible study software, they have it wrong. They'll have subheadings, and you'll see in the Old Testament, it'll say something about the church, the church, the church. No, it's not the church. The church doesn't show up to the book of Acts. Secondly, though, in Romans 9, now here, here we start talking about some very controversial issues today. In Romans 9, election does not have to do with personal salvation, but the nation through whom the Lord has chosen to work. Now look at that again. In Romans chapter 9, election, this concept of election, that God chooses certain people, all right? In Romans 9, election does not have to do with personal salvation, but the nation through whom the Lord has chosen to work. He is talking about the national election of the nation of Israel. He's not talking about personal salvation. Okay? Third, for God to choose to work through Israel as a nation, this, if you don't get anything else, get this today, okay? For God to choose to work through Israel as a nation does not mean that he also chooses people to go to heaven and others to hell. They are not the same. I'll say it again. For God to choose to work through Israel as a nation does not mean that he also chooses people to go to heaven and others to hell. One doesn't necessarily follow the other. Now, listen carefully to the next statement. What I just told you is one of the fatal errors of Calvinism today. They confuse the national election or choosing of Israel by God, and they bring that over into personal salvation of the individual. They're two different things, two different things completely. God has a right to choose to do things his way and choose certain people and nations for certain tasks. God has a right to do that. He also has the foreknowledge to know beforehand. We've already covered that. He also has the foreknowledge of what will happen and he acts accordingly, all right? Did God know that Jesus would be rejected? Yes, he knew that. Did God know that there would be the church age? Yes, he knew that. All right? But was it not a legitimate offer of the kingdom to the Jewish people? Yes, it was a legitimate offer. Jesus was grieved and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers their chicks, and you would not. It was his will that they accept him, but they rejected him. See, his foreknowledge knew that would happen, but he didn't make them reject him, they chose to reject him. Does that change the fact that they're still God's chosen people? No, they're still God's chosen people. This fact that God chooses certain people and nations for certain tasks has nothing to do with going to heaven for the individual. All right? So let's start there. After all, God's word does not contradict itself. Remember that. God's word does not contradict itself. So let's look at some scriptures on this which leads us to our fourth point. 
It is clear from Scripture that the Lord opens salvation to all mankind. If you are here today in our service, or if you are streaming this, or somebody may watch this down the road, friend, if you are afraid that you're not one of God's elect, you don't have to worry about it, why don't you just do this instead? Trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you can know that you're one of God's children. You can know you're going to heaven, it's all taken care of. As one theologian said, and he said it beautifully, the elect are the whosoever wills, the non-elect are the whosoever wants. You want to be one of the elect? Put your faith in Jesus Christ the Savior. You want to stay one of the non-elect, one of the lost? Reject Jesus Christ as your Savior. But the choice is up to you. How do I know that? Because the Bible says it so clearly. Salvation is open to all mankind. Let's look at some scriptures on this. Please pay careful attention to this. Why am I spending so much time on this issue? Because of this. Calvinism is growing leaps and bounds. It's like a dark cloud that's coming over the earth. And people are embracing it more and more and more. And yet it is so false and it is so grotesque in painting the character of the God of the Bible. It is not true. We don't hate Calvinists, okay? We love them. And no doubt some of them are saved people. No doubt some of them are. But here's the point, friend. You don't misrepresent God. You present him as he presents himself in Scripture. And the Scripture uses one of the most important words in our language when it comes to salvation. It uses the word all. All. Now we have a little booklet that you can have for free All right, after the service, just ask one of our ushers for it. It's called The Alls of Salvation. I wrote it specifically with this in mind. That can be of great help to anybody who's confused on this issue. And believe me, there's a lot of people confused because I get emails and phone calls on a regular basis for people who are confused about this issue. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, turn there with me. 1 Timothy 2, in verse 3, look at the language. Look at the language. It says in verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. How can you interpret that any other way than the way it's written? This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have, God, our Savior, would have all men to be saved. What does that mean? It means it's God's will that all men be saved. That's why we're supposed to, in the context, pray for kings and rulers and all those in authority. Why? God wants everybody to be saved, not just the select few. Listen, God does not play theological games. He doesn't say, well, I want all to be saved, but I'm only going to pick these few. Well, wait, I thought you want them all to be saved. Well, I kind of do, but not really. Friend, don't you dare do that with the word of God. Believe it as it is written. It's open to all. Let me show you some more on this. You're in 1 Timothy. Go to chapter 4. Might say, well, uh, all those to be saved, that's referring to the ones he chooses. No, it isn't. It's all. By the way, the word all means all. Well, what's it mean in the Greek? Okay, okay. You ready? 
You holding on to your seat? <laughs> means all. Means 100% of all there is. All. Listen, if I had a basket with five apples in it and you took out five apples, how many would be gone? All of them. Yes. Okay? We give ourselves a hand. Aren't we, aren't we intelligent? We can get that. Why can't some theological perspectives get it? 1 Timothy 4.12, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Now what is that saying? Salvation is open to everyone. Jesus is everyone's Savior, but it's only effective for those who believe. Well, that's true. So anybody can be saved, but not everyone will be saved because you will not be saved unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. But it's very clear that salvation's open to everyone because that's what it says. He's the Savior of all men. All men. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. Not the Gospel of John, but the epistle. 1 John. A little, little in front of... Uh, the book of Revelation. 1 John 2 and verse 2. And he, Jesus, is the propitiation, the satisfactory payment, the satisfactory payment. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Now, who is the our referring to? Well, John is writing to believers. Well, see, he's, the, he's just the payment for sin for believers. Yeah, but the verse doesn't stop there. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Could that be any clearer? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yes, he is the satisfactory payment for my sin, but not for my sin only. He's the satisfactory payment for the world. Now, why would he be the satisfactory payment for the world if the world can't be saved? Makes no sense. Makes no sense. The world can be saved. And lastly, familiar territory, go with me to John chapter 3. What I would do if I was out in public or in a conversation and I met with a Calvinist and I just kind of, the person says, well, I'm a Calvinist. And if they really were, I would ask them this. How can you believe such a thing? How can you believe such a thing? See, if you're a Calvinist, let's say for an example, now we all know, and everybody, everybody who's a believer would agree, a small percentage of mankind is going to be saved. We know that. Jesus talked about it. Okay? Broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leads to life. Few there be that enter in thereat. Okay, we know that. And we know that is true. Because the majority of people are trusting in their works to get them to heaven or to be saved. And we know it's not by works, it's by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone as Savior. So let's be generous here. And I think it's a lot less than this, but let's be generous. Let's say 10% of humanity is going to believe in Christ. Well, according to Calvinistic theology, that means that God, based on nothing but his own sovereign choice, looked down the hallways of eternity, and he said, okay, I am going to choose out of the human race, because all of them are lost, all of them are guilty, all of them are condemned. I'm going to choose, looking down the halls of eternity, 10% of humanity 
to be saved. I'm going to choose them. Well, Lord, what about the others? What about the 90%? In a sense, here's what the God of Calvinism would say. It's not for you to question me. You ought to be happy that I choose 10%. Yeah, but what about the other 90% who don't have a choice? Don't question me. It's my plan. Wait a minute. People will be born, and you're saying they have no no choice whether they can be saved or not? So you knew they would be born, and 90% of humanity, you knew it's your decision not to let them be saved? Or not to choose them to be saved? Friend, can you really believe that? Can you really believe that? That that is the God of the Bible? It makes no sense. As a matter of fact, you talk to anybody who is a former Calvinist, and you'll see how much they have wrestled with this issue of injustice. Many years ago, a man named Dave Hunt wrote a book, What Love Is This? What love is this? If that is the way the God of the Bible is, what love is this? Well, it's not biblical love, because in John 3.16 it says this, For God so loved the world, he loved the world. Well, that's the elect of the world. No, it's not. It's the world. The context proves it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, who's that talking about in the context? The people of the world. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? Well, because the world's already condemned. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If the world is condemned, then that same world can be saved. According to verse 17. And whosoever of the world who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he died and paid for their sins and rose from the grave, you trust in him and him alone, not in your good works, not in your merit or your faithfulness or your commitment, but you trust in him alone and he gives you as a gift everlasting life. This is the God of the Bible, okay? This is salvation, biblical salvation. I could give you verse after verse after verse. How about this one? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save them that are lost. How many start out lost? Then he's coming to seek and save everybody because everybody's lost. Isn't that clear? It's so plain. It's just the normal reading of Scripture. It's not some complicated man-made grid that people come up with, okay? I'm not trying to be mean. I know some people, uh, he's just being mean. He's being mean-spirited. I'm not being mean-spirited. I'm not, okay? I am just pleading, friend, don't paint my Savior in an unjust way. The God of the Bible is a God of love to all mankind, all mankind. Anybody can be saved. The issue is choice. Do you want to be saved? Now let's move on. Israel passed. We haven't even started. We're going to start in, in chapter 9, verse 1 now. We see in chapter 9 God's plan for the Jewish people and their failure to submit to it. There you go. 
God had a plan for the Jewish people. They failed to submit to his plan. By the way, what is that? Choice. Man can choose God's way or not. And by the way, isn't that the entire history of the world? Romans 9 verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Now Paul, remember, he is a saved Jew, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. This statement is almost impossible to comprehend. Paul knew very clearly the reality of hell and God's judgment. He has shown it to us ever so clearly thus far in Romans. While knowing he could never be lost, according to chapter 8, he was still willing to be lost if his kinsmen, the Jews, could be saved or would be saved. I don't know if I'm that generous. I guess I'm a little bit more selfish. Lord, I want them all to be saved, but I don't want to be lost. I want to be saved. Now, he knew he couldn't be lost. But he's saying, listen, he had such a burden for the Jew. But you see, by the way, his ministry, who did it start out with? The Jew. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is a powerful passage. This statement is almost impossible to comprehend, but yet he said it, verse four. Who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh, Christ came, the Messiah came, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is overall God blessed forever. Amen. You notice Jesus is God. Notice that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, according to these verses, was a Jew. Isn't it amazing that people will want to uh, do away with the Jews and they'll say they're Christians? Wait a minute, you have a Jewish Savior. Amazing. Also notice that through the Jews we receive the word of God. Friend, there's no reason to have an angst against the Jewish people. I, I, I don't have the time this morning. We've touched on this before. All the things that the Jewish people have brought to our world to make it a better place, especially in the areas of science and medicine, it is phenomenal what they have done. And yet people are out to get them. Why? Because it's satanic. It makes no sense naturally, but spiritually it makes sense because Satan hates the Jew. These chapters show that the Lord still has a plan for the Jewish people according to his sovereign plan for the ages. Now, don't be afraid of the word sovereign. It simply means God is the boss. He can do what he wants. And that is true. Make no mistake about it. God in his sovereignty has chosen the nation of Israel for his glory. And he is not through with them Okay, he has made everlasting covenants with them and he will be true to them. But the election of the Jews nationally, okay? The election of the Jews as a nation does not mean that every Jew is going to heaven. It's just that God chose them as a nation, as a people, to work through them in a special way. He elected them, he chose them to do that. That does not mean personal salvation. 
is the issue. It's national election. Verse 6. Not as though the word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now what is that talking about? Not all Jewish people, simply because they're Jewish, are God's children. You notice it says, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. As we are going to see in the following verses, that is an issue of faith. Isaac's seed, that's an issue of faith. Through Isaac came the Messiah. And in all nations would be blessed, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In what way? God provided a savior for us. God provided a Messiah for us. But the only way you can be plugged into God's program properly is through faith in Jesus Christ. But that's your choice. That is, they which are of the children of the flesh, simply because you're born Jew, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Now, what is that referring to? Well, let me give you some clear scriptures on that. Go back to chapter 4 of Romans. Talking about Abraham here. It says in Romans 4 verse 13, for the promise, you notice the promise, that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seeds through the law, through the Mosaic law, through the commandments. They hadn't been given yet, by the way. But through the righteousness of what? Faith. Not works, not good deeds, not the keeping of the commandments. The commandments hadn't even been given yet. But through faith. You become a child of God, a child of Abraham, in a sense, by faith in Jesus Christ. You might say, well, aren't, aren't the Jews the children of, of Abraham? Physically, Yes. But spiritually, the only way they can be is by faith in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. So righteousness is by faith. Go with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I know this is deep for some, but hopefully you're following this. Galatians chapter 3, and it's very clearly spelled out here. Galatians 3 verse 7. It says this, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Do you see it? Not by works, it's by faith. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. By the way, that's us. If you're Gentile, you're heathen. So you're a heathen. We'll move on. So am I, by the way. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all the nations be blessed. The Messiah's salvation would come through Abraham. Jesus was Jewish. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. See, personal faith in Jesus Christ is what saves a person, not one's nationality, no, not even the Jews. This is why Jesus said when he was locking horns with them, so to speak, he says, unless you believe that I am he, Jehovah, ye shall die in your sins. He was saying that to the Jewish people. He's saying, you're not going to be in the kingdom because of your nationality. The only way you can be there is through faith in me. That's what he was saying. 
And what did they do? They considered it blasphemy because they knew that the Messiah had to be God. Therefore, they said they were going to stone him because he makes himself to be God. See, they rejected him as God who is our Savior. Now, go with me to John chapter 1. We'll close there. John chapter 1. And we see this great, great account written by John the Apostle, who, by the way, was a Jew as well. But he accepted Jesus as his Messiah. And here you go, folks. It's the story of the Jewish people. It's also the story of humanity. But you know what? As sad as verse John 1.11 is, verses 12 and 13 are glorious. If you'll receive them by faith. John 1.11, he came unto his own. It's his own people, the Jews. And look what it says. His own received him not. He came unto his own. It was a legitimate offer. I'm your Messiah, I'm your Savior, I'm your King. They rejected him, and in rejecting him, they did not get the kingdom that was promised. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, the children of God, even to them that do what? Believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Look up here. Look up here for a moment. Let me, let me explain this to you. If you happen to be here today and you say, you know, I've never heard any of this before. I want you to know, friend, you are in the world and God loves you and he wants you to be saved because you're a person and he came for you. You're a sinner as we all are. And he came to save you, to give you eternal life. But you have to trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. For what? Explain it. Okay. This hand representing you and me and my wallet. Let's pretend this is sin. Here we are. We're all sinners. We all have sin on us. Yet the scripture tells us God loves us. He hates our sin. To go to heaven, you have to be sinless. None of us are. Therefore, we're all sunk. He, could, he did not come to condemn the world. Why? Already condemned. But that the world through him might be saved. God says if we try to pay for our own sin, most people think good works will do it. God says, no, the only payment is death. We'd be separated from God forever in hell. God doesn't want that for any one of us. He so loved us that he took on flesh, this hand representing God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The word Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. Jesus came into the world. He lived a perfect life and he went to the cross and he took my sin and your sin upon himself and he made the complete payment for all the sin we'll do in an entire lifetime. He paid for it all. He came back from the dead. And he says, if you will believe in him, trust in him that he made that payment for you, he will give you that moment everlasting life. The payment he made is good on your behalf the moment you trust in Christ as your savior. Not everyone's going to heaven. The payment's been made, but they have to accept the payment that was made for them through Jesus Christ. He that believeth on him, not condemned. He that believeth not, condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The name, Jesus, God who is our Savior. Friend, it's not by works, it's by faith, as we saw. By faith, by faith. Look at it over here. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What a day. What a great salvation God's offering to you 
If you've never trusted Christ, would you trust him as your savior today? You can be a child of God in a moment of time for all eternity. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.